0: I hope whatever your summer's been like, I hope you've been able to enjoy it. Um, even if you haven't been able to get away, there's always next year, okay? And, uh, and I can't believe that we're literally in September already. The time does fly. And as part of my holiday, uh, we went large this year. We went to Eurocamp in France. That's right, people. That's where it's at, okay? And uh, we were there for five nights, and we had a great time. And um, it always amazes me. I've got two young children I've got a daughter, B who's five, and George, my son, who's two. And, um, and it always amazes me how different they are, okay? And this place had the most amazing water park, okay? They've literally got about four or five different pools, different slides. I mean, you could be there all day. And B, honestly, she is near drowning every five minutes... And absolutely loving it. Honestly, like if you're if you're if you got paired up with B, you would have a fantastic day at the water park. She wants to go down everything. You can see her there. She's got a snorkel mask on. You don't need a snorkel mask, but she wanted to wear one anyway. <laughs> and uh, it, she's absolutely loving it. George, on the other hand, I think that's probably about as deep in the water as he got. <laughs> okay, and he actually looks quite happy there. So that that is like that's a, that's the million dollar shot that is right there. So. Um, but we had a fantastic, fantastic time. Managed to pick up a bit of a tan. Obviously, the white lights are really kind of blurring that out. But, um, but trust me, I'm a little bit less pasty than usual, and that, that, that blesses my heart if no one else's. But um, I've been really looking forward to preaching to you guys this morning at the start of this church year. And it's an important moment, isn't it? When you're know, when you about to kind of start a new year or you're looking ahead, there's a, there's a particular moment, isn't there, when you kind of feel like this could be a really important moment. And I feel that about this morning, that today, that as we start the new church year together here at King's, that this can be a really important moment. And the question that's been impressed on me across the summer, and as I've been praying about what to kind of bring to you today, is this, who are we called to be? Who are we called to be? Who are we called to be as individuals? And who are we called to be as a people, as a church here at the Lee site? Who are we called to be. Now we know, don't we, as Christians, you know, we're called to so many things. It doesn't take long. You can pick up the Bible and you can find so many things, so many encouragements, so many commands, so many things that as a Christian we are called to be. We're called to be followers of Jesus, aren't we? To put him first, to put him at the center of your life. We're called to love your neighbor. You're called to share Jesus with people, pray for the sick, to be kingdom people. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. And even across the summer, if you've been with us across August during the preaching series about the Lord's Prayer, you know, Jesus himself calls us to pray in a certain way, doesn't he? He calls us to pray in a way where we acknowledge God as our Father, first and foremost. He's our Father in heaven. We're to pray in a way where we expect the kingdom to come, to give us, our di- give us today our daily bread, you know, in our hearts to wholeheartedly depend on Jesus, to lead us not into temptation. There are so many things that we are called to do. And don't get me wrong, they're all good things, aren't they? You wouldn't look at any of those things and go, oh no, I don't like the sound of that. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like good advice to me. They are all good things to do. And as Christians, we do all that we can, don't we, to strive, to persevere, to be the best that we can be, to kind of live out the Christian life as best as we can. And we all have a call of God on our lives. We know verses like Ephesians 2, where we're told that God has prepared good works for us in advance to do. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And all of us, as we follow Jesus, as we journey with him, we are all trying to discern the call of God on our personal lives. We're all trying to work out, God, what is it that you're calling me to? What, are the, what type of person are you calling me to be? And how can we really fulfill that call? You know, is it that we just have to try harder, be a, somehow be a better Christian, work harder, pray more, read our Bible more, do the Christian things? Do we just have to keep on striving and striving? I'm sure that we'd all know the answer to that is no. But what is the answer? How can we fulfill the Call of God in our lives. In the Old Testament, there was a guy called Zerubbabel, okay, which is one of those nice words to be able to say, Zerubbabel, okay. There we go. You can mull it under your breath if you want. And um, he had a phenomenal call on his life. He, God called him to rebuild the temple of the Lord, okay. Now David and Solomon had built the first temple; that had been destroyed. And it was his call to rebuild the second temple. I mean, can you imagine having that call on your life? To rebuild the temple of the Lord. I mean, just to build this place was a headache enough, okay? I mean, the decision to have blue chairs or not, I mean, I'm not even going to tell you the interesting conversations that we have about such things behind closed doors. But Zerubbabel was called to build the temple of the Lord. And through the prophet Zechariah, God reminded Zerubbabel something fundamentally important. And we read it in Zechariah 4, verse 6. It says, This is the word to Zerubbabel. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Nor by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, God has called each one of us to do something, but he's also called each one of us to be something. We are called to be a people who are full of the Holy Spirit. We're called to be a people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just make one balancing comment before I continue. For all the people in there going, yes, the Holy Spirit, brilliant, okay? This isn't license for you just to kind of sit back and just be like, we'll just let God do whatever he wants to do. I'm just going to sit here, and when God wants to do something, then that will just be fantastic. Okay, that is not what this verse does. This verse does not give us the permission to not strive and to not persevere. There are so many verses throughout the the new testament where we are told and we're encouraged aren't we to you know press on towards the goal to persevere to keep running after jesus paul says in colossians 1 to this end i labor struggling with all of his energy which so powerfully works in me paul says look i'm working as hard as i can i'm laboring i'm working i'm doing all that i can but it's in his energy that so powerfully works in me That is going to be the thing that makes a difference. That is going to be the thing that will help me cross the finish line. That is going to be the thing that will enable me to fulfill the call of God on my life. It's his energy that so powerfully works in me. And today we need to be encouraged to remember that we will never fulfill the call of God in our lives just by our own strengths, just by our own efforts We need the power of God in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So why are we called to be people full of the Spirit? If we were to fast forward 500 odd years from when Zerubbabel received that word and after Jesus' resurrection and in his final moments with the disciples, he gave the disciples some very clear instructions. In fact, Acts tells them that he commands them in Acts 1 to not leave Jerusalem. He says in Acts 1 verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized With the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus knew the task at hand before the disciples. He knew what they were going to go through. He knew that in their own strength, they were never going to make it on their own. But by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, basically a bunch of uneducated, very ordinary men became effective, became distinctive, and became equipped for battle. And surely as Christians, there's something inside of us that wants to be like this. As Christians, we want to be a people, don't we? That we are surely where we feel like, I want to be effective. I want to be distinctive. I want to be equipped for the battle. So first off, if we're called to be full of his Holy Spirit, we are called to be effective. I find it fascinating to see that one of the most interesting uh, results or instant results of being baptized in the Spirit is effective witness. It's effective witness. See, the very first thing that Jesus called his disciples to do, which was to be his witnesses, basically to everyone around him, to the ends of the earth, almost happens absolutely immediately. We pick up the story in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, and we read, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then suddenly, a sound Like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The story goes on and describes how when the rest of the people in Jerusalem kind of saw what was going on and heard what was going on, it says that they were amazed and they were perplexed. They were asking, what on earth is going on? And in an amazing moment when Peter, of all people, stood up to address the crowd. Peter, the guy that denied Jesus three times not too, much, not too long ago, stood up, and it says he spoke as loudly as he could, and he gets up and he preaches the life-changing, the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ, of Jesus died and crucified, and Jesus risen from the dead. And he reminds the crowds in verse 17. He says, look this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. You know, he goes on preaching for another 30 verses. I mean, this was the guy that would deny Jesus and didn't want to mention him at all. And now you literally can't shut the guy up. I mean, he's like, he'll tell anyone that wants to hear. He will tell everybody about Jesus. He's not worried about what people will think anymore. And what has happened to Peter? He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of it, it says around 3,000 were added to the church that day. I mean, that's not bad for day one. And as Peter and the disciples continued to preach Jesus, it says that they saw people added to their number daily. Added to their number daily. The disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit was the catalyst for their effectiveness. Ordinary, average people full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know for many of us, We're unlikely to be surrounded by crowds of 3,000 people, which we'd probably be pleased to be happy about, but we are surrounded by people all the time, aren't we? We're surrounded by our friends. We're surrounded by our family. We're surrounded by the people that we work with. We're surrounded by just the people that we bump into in every normal day life. And sometimes the thought of sharing Jesus with someone or even offering to pray with someone can be daunting. For some of us, it can actually really paralyze us but we've got to remember, what gave Peter the boldness to address the crowd? It was being full of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was first filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't remember like, the exact day and the time and what I was wearing and what the weather was like or anything like that. But I know that there was definitely a moment, even as a Christian, when you know, I believed, but I knew that I'd never been filled with the Holy Spirit. I was probably, I think, about 13 years old, so a young teenager, and uh, I was at a Bible camp, a uh, place called Stoneleigh. Many of you may have been there or even heard of it. And, um, and I just remember, even as a 13-year-old, I thought, you know what? I, th- there's, I know Jesus, but I've never really experienced him in what I'd probably call like a tangible way, in a way that I could, you know, I, I, I get told that he's alive, but I've never really experienced that he is alive. And I remember someone praying for me, and I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit. And all I can say is, I I felt like I just didn't want to leave that room. I felt like I just wanted to be in that place forever. Suddenly, it felt like Jesus was alive. It was like his presence was there. I had known Jesus, but now I knew that he was there. And let's just say that the boldness kicked in pretty quickly. Like I say, I didn't want to leave that room. And it was probably a room, maybe something similar size to this. And people were responding to God and being prayed for and receiving the Holy Spirit. But probably the time had come for people to kind of, you know, be ushered out. And then what basically happened is, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is something called yellow coat syndrome, okay? I don't know if you're aware of the yellow coat syndrome, where basically if you go to a Christian conference, average ordinary men and women get given a yellow high-vis jacket. They put that jacket on, it is like they are clothed with power from up on high. I'm telling you, okay? Okay. it's it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, there's power in the Bible, but in a high-vis jacket, who knew, right? But anyway, so I'm I'm there. I'm 13. I'm like, I'm receiving from God. I don't want to leave this room at all. Excuse me, we need to uh, clear the room now. I'm like... Are you having a laugh? Is what I'm, I'm only 13. This is like this is a, this is a bloke in a jacket, right? So I'm like, okay, right. Uh, anyway, and I start arguing with him, okay? Because I'm not. It's not like I'm the only one there refusing to go. And I'm saying, but no, look, people are meeting with God. Like, look, we can't leave now. And he kind of said something adult, like he had a job to do or something was happening important. And uh, but basically, I literally I started arguing with the guy, right? And I was I, and I was obviously losing the arguments. I'm 13. He's a lot bigger than me. And as I'm kind of getting ushered out, and I was going, you're literally stopping people from meeting with God. That, and I thought, that will tell him. That will. <laughs> yeah, I'm out the room, but that will tell him. I had the last word. I mean, I'm only 13. I was thinking afterwards. I was like, what on earth happened to me? That's just a little bit bizarre. But it was amazing how, the, in a sense, the boldness kicked in quickly. I went back to school the following week. I, I caught up with all my friends. And I remember, in, it was in the first week, my friend Ollie, he had a friend who was... Um, I can't remember if it was a friend or someone in his family who ended up in hospital. Anyway, I'm chatting to him at the lunch break, and he's in tears, okay? And he's crying. And I'm, but no, this is 13-year-old Tristan. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, Ollie, I'm, like, I'm going to pray. And he's like, all right, okay? So I kind of put my hands, I lay my hands on him. You know, in a sense, I put my hand on his shoulder. And, uh, and I close, I've got no idea if he closed his eyes, but I close my eyes and I'm praying. And I am praying like there is holy fire coming down from heaven, okay? And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm, and I'm thinking, by the time I open my eyes, this guy just want to basically give his life to Jesus because surely that is exactly what's going to happen. It happened in Acts, so why can't it happen to me? And, um, and I'll kind of finish the prayer. I open my eyes. He has stopped crying. I think he's looking at me in quite a weird way. But anyway, I didn't care. I was like, that's fine. I've done my bit. I'll just leave the rest to God, okay? Now, we're kind of still friends, so it's fine. It just wasn't like I alienated the guy, okay? But, and I think for all of us, we've probably all had kind of Peter moments, okay? Both ways. I think all of us have had Peter moments where we've probably, I don't know, just held back, maybe kept quiet, maybe even denied Jesus. I know that I have. But we can also have the Peter moments where we can boldly speak to those around us and share Jesus with them. You know, what motivated me to pray for my friend? It wasn't because I was trying to be a good Christian. It wasn't because I thought, I know this would be the right and good thing to do because I'm a good Christian, so I should tick that box. No, it was the fact that I knew Jesus was alive. It was because I knew that I was full of the Holy Spirit. It was because I knew that because Jesus had transformed my life, he could transform the lives of everyone around me. It was through faith in Jesus that led me to pray for my friend, not to tick a box, not just to try and be a good Christian. It was being filled with the Holy Spirit that enabled me to begin effectively witnessing to others. The second reason is why we call to be full of the Holy Spirit is so that we can be distinctive. You know, effective witness is one of the ways that should make Christians distinctive, but words without power is simply that, isn't it? It's just words. They're just kind of good words. We want to see God move and transform the lives of the people around us. We just don't want to be like a random group of kind of like nice people that go to church each week. We want to be distinctive. And there's something about being full of the Spirit that sets you apart that should distinguish you. As you read through Acts, whenever the disciples need to build a team, solve a problem, find someone to do something, they would describe that they would be looking for someone to be full of the Holy Spirit. In Act six, it says this: "Brothers, choose seven men among from you who are known to be full of the Spirit." And it goes on to say they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts eleven, it tells us that Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith there's something about being the people of God that should make us distinctive and this isn't a new thing either we can go way back to the old testament when Moses is meeting with God and God is calling Moses to lead his people into the promised land and in Exodus 33 Moses says this look if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here how will anyone know that you are pleased with your people unless you go with us What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now, by this point, God had already parted the Red Sea. He had already sent down bread from heaven every morning. But the thing is, Moses wasn't looking for one-off moments. He was looking for God to presence himself with them each and every day. Peter and the disciples had this experience in Acts It wasn't simply that they couldn't stop talking about Jesus, but they were being witnesses and witnesses with power. It says the Holy Spirit made them distinct from everybody else. You know, they had been given spiritual gifts. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. They had words of knowledge. And when they prayed for the sick, they saw many people healed. You know, we're told that the disciples, people would bring out sick people on their beds and line them up in the street so that they would be healed. Now, that is distinctive, isn't it? That's just not being effective, that is distinctive. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit at work each day. Now we could do a whole message on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we don't have time for, but a people who are full of the Holy Spirit should be distinctive. Not just bold witnesses, but witnesses with power. We are called to be people full of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, and thirdly, we're called to be a people full of the Holy Spirit so that we can be equipped for battle. We can be equipped for battle. Jesus had given the disciples a clear mission. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And at the time, I'm sure the disciples had no idea what lay ahead. They had no idea what was going to actually happen before them. But, you know, because there were some amazing times, like we've heard, people being healed, you know, thousands of people being converted and finding Jesus, people getting broken out, of, um, broken out of prison. There were all kinds of miraculous things that happen as you read through Acts. There's also quite a lot of things which actually don't go well for some of the disciples either. But the important thing is that being filled with the Holy Spirit made them equipped for the battle ahead. Now, if you were planning to go into a battle, I'm sure that you wouldn't want to go in unarmed, would you? You wouldn't want to go in unarmed. If there was a war going on, you wouldn't want want to be walking out onto the front line without any armor or without a weapon. Now, Ephesians 6 tells us about putting on the full armor of God. And Tim spoke about the armor last week as well. But the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and last but not least, and interestingly, the sword of the Spirit. And it made me think how just important the sword is in this armor, how important the sword is in this armor. Because can you imagine if you were getting kind of tooled up, ready to go out to war, and you were given all the armor, but sorry, mate, there's no swords left. You'd be like, okay, well, I've got a a shield, I've got a helmet, I've got some other gear on. I think I'll be all right. I don't think I'm going to last as long as that guy over there, because look at that sword. That looks pretty impressive. You know, you feel like you're not necessarily going to survive the fight. And equally, if you look at the other way, imagine going into battle and you're in line and, you know, everyone's getting kind of geared up, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we haven't got any armor. I've got this sword, though. You'd be like, okay, well, at least I do have a sword, but I've got no I've got no helmet. I've got nothing else. I'm going to be feeling a little bit exposed. What am I actually going to use to be able to defend myself more than just a shield? As we follow Jesus and go on our journey with him, we're told to put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. And that includes all of it. That includes all of it. None of us want to run the risk of going into battle without the full armor, without being fully equipped. And as individuals and as a body of believers, we need to put on the full armor. We need to have the sword of the spirit at our disposal. Now, I love war films. I don't know what your type of favorite film is, but for me, any type of war film, things like Saving Private Ryan, uh, Platoon, uh, We Were Soldiers, The Thin Red Lion, anything like that, okay? You kind of with me? Brilliant. Okay. Now, what makes that even better is if the story is true. Okay? Oh, my goodness. If there's a war film that is true, I'm there. I'm like, you cannot convince me in any shape, way, or form that there is a better film out there. Now, has anyone seen The Band of Brothers? Hey, oh, there's a few hands. There's a few cheers. All right. Now, this, this is going right up my street. Okay? This is it's not, it's not a film. It's, it's a, it's a ten-part kind of series that follows uh, the story of. It's real. It's true. Okay, so it's right up there, and it follows uh, a group of men that in 1942 joined, basically the American para, uh, the paratroopers, the 506 Parachute Regiment, and they formed a company called Easy Company which is quite ironic, because actually throughout the Second World War, nothing that they had to do was ever easy at all. And they definitely, definitely didn't have it easy. But it's inspiring to watch, you know, to watch a group of men against all the odds, you know, to be able to kind of pull through, to they form friendships that will never be broken as they fight side by side. I mean, it's, at, it's inspiring to watch. They started out as a group of around 140, and they end by the end of the war they totaled probably in and around 300 and they were known as the best of the best. They parachuted into France on D-Day. They took out a, a, a whole rank of heavy artillery guns which assisted the allied invasion. They basically fought in every major allied operation. It took them from France to Holland and into Germany and including taking Hitler's Eagle's Nest which was like his kind of like personal retreat. It's an inspiring thing to watch. And what I find inspiring to watch is it didn't, they did amazing things, phenomenal things that actually had a major impact in the Second World War. But what was interesting, that it didn't take thousands of people. It wasn't, this wasn't watching this army of 10,000 people or even 1,000 people. You were literally talking about a handful of 150 to 300 men who were able to make a huge, huge difference. And these guys were very normal. They were, you know, very average men. They were kind of teachers. They were builders. They were factory workers. They were businessmen. Yet they were trained, they were equipped, and they went on mission together. Do you know, around 70 years later, in 2011, King's Church London, Phil Varley, a man full of the Holy Spirit, led a very similar number... I haven't got a picture of you, Phil, so don't worry... (laughs) Led a very similar number of people to plant the site here at Lee. And since then, do you know what? Over the years, we've seen people saved. We've seen people come to know Jesus, like really come to know Jesus. We've seen people baptized. We've seen people healed. We've had prophetic words. I mean, it really has been amazing to see what God has been doing amongst us. It's almost like we've got our own kind of, our little own kind of mini act series going on here at King's. And you know what? Now we stand here almost like as a band of brothers, as a band of brothers and sisters of around 300 strong, and we're living with the same mandate as the disciples to go and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You know, we would call ourselves a missional church, You know, we often say things like, we want to make more room for more people to know Jesus. And to be honest... I mean, it looks pretty full now, doesn't it? If we keep on growing the way that we have been over the last kind of, you know, over the years that we've been here, then we're going to be running out of room pretty quickly. As a church, we've got a vision and a call to be a church of 5,000. You know, we want to be running small groups where people really do encounter Jesus in people's homes. We want to gather on a Sunday, not just because it's a date in the diary, because we should be coming full of faith and expectant of what is God going to do today today. We want people to come and know the living power, the grace of God in their lives. We just don't want to close the doors and think, oh, this is nice. We've got to a nice size now. There are thousands of people on our doorstep. There are people that you work with. There are your friends. There's your family. We want to be a people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Terry Virgo, in his book, The Spirit-Filled Church, says this. Jesus promised that he would build his church but he commissioned his disciples to go into the world without him. Despite Jesus' return to heaven, the church spread faster and became larger than any other movement in history, and this was not due to the managerial skills and strategies of uneducated fishermen. The disciples were not actually alone. Because of his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to work in them in remarkable ways. He was indeed continuing his work. Who knows what God has in store for us as a church? Who knows what God is calling each of you to personally and individually? But we are called to be a people who are full of the Holy Spirit. We're called to be effective. We're called to be distinctive. We're called to be equipped. We're called to be a people full of his Holy Spirit. So in closing, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? At the end of this message and in a few minutes, then we're going to have an opportunity for some ministry time and some space so that we can pray for one another. People can be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's very simple. There's nothing kind of mystical about it, if that makes sense. All we need to do is just pray to Jesus and ask him to fill us. You might want someone to pray with you. You might just want to just... Ask and pray Jesus from wherever you're sitting and receive from him there. But let me just say this to you. If you're not a Christian here today and you're thinking, what on earth is this guy chatting about? Then let me encourage you. Please, we'd run an Alpha course which we're running here at Lee which starts in October. If you want to find out more about who this Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, then at the end of the meeting, you go and sign up for Alpha and there you can ask all your questions and you can really find out what it is to be a Christian, and about the Christian faith, and who Jesus is. But if you are a Christian here today, if you are a Christian here today, and you have never, ever had the opportunity to be prayed for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like you've got all the armor on, but you're missing the sword, okay? That I'd encourage you, let someone pray for you today. And perhaps if you're a Christian here today and you've been, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit before and perhaps you've been filled with the Spirit many, many times, if you are hungry, if you are thirsty for more of Jesus in your life, then I'd encourage you, please, respond to Jesus. Because wherever you find yourself, if you are thirsty, then this morning is not the morning to hold back. And even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking back to even my son George. You know, when I showed you the pictures of uh, being George at the water park. You know, we can be a Christian and we can almost be a little bit like George who are, I'm just about going to get my toes wet. You know, you're in the park and you can see all this other stuff going on and it looks amazing, but it's almost like I, I, I I feel like I can't take that step. Let me encourage you. God is our Father in heaven. Jesus knows exactly what you need. He is a good, good Father. Following Jesus is a call to go further and to go deeper with him. And this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. You know, Jesus said himself in John 7, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You know, Jesus makes it as simple as possible. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone here today sitting in this room is thirsty, it doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been a Christian, whether you're a group leader, a ministry leader, not serving in the church, it doesn't matter who you are. It's about whether you're thirsty. Whoever is thirsty, whoever believes in me, living water will flow from within them. Amen.